Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 212, Private Astronauts. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. We're in a very new and interesting time in human spaceflight, where access to space is enabled not only by governments, but by private companies for private citizens. Just this year, we saw the suborbital flights of Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2 on the Unity 22 mission and Blue Origin's New Shepard on the NS-16 mission. Very soon, we'll be seeing the SpaceX Dragon on the private Inspiration4 suborbital spaceflight. NASA is also in the private spaceflight game and enabling private astronauts to stay aboard the International Space Station. NASA has signed a mission order with Axiom Space to enable the first flight to station called Axiom Mission 1 or X1 as early as January of next year. So you're probably thinking, why? Why is NASA in the private spaceflight game? The answer, it's part of a much larger strategy to enable sustained human presence in low Earth orbit. Joining the podcast to discuss all of this is Angela Hart and Dr. Camille Elaine. Angela is the manager of the Commercial Low Earth Orbit Development Program here at the Johnson Space Center. Her previous role was with the Commercial Crew Program. Camille is returning to the podcast. She was on episode 158 to discuss the Commercial Lunar Payload Services effort at NASA, and she's since taken on the role of Deputy Manager of the Commercial Low Earth Orbit Development Program. They both discuss NASA's efforts to enable private astronauts, and they lay out our larger goals. So let's discuss the future of a commercialized low Earth orbit by diving deeper into NASA's efforts to enable private astronaut missions. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circle. she goes. we have a podcast. Angela and Camille, thanks so much for coming on Houston Wave Podcast. Very excited to talk to you both about uh, some of the upcoming work we have for for developing a low Earth orbit economy. There's there's a lot of work that's being done, and I think it's it's a great time to talk about it with uh, with all these missions going up into space. Both of you have um, history in uh, working in some capacity with commercial companies, so I think you both have. Uh, have the background to help you with your uh, roles in the management positions of this particular organization. Angela, I want to start with you. Tell us a little bit more about your previous roles that helped you to uh, to become the manager of the um, commercial low Earth, orbit, low Earth orbit development program. Yeah, we're really excited to be here and and talk about commercialization of Leo. So I started this new role in June of 2020 um, when HEO decided to create a dedicated program to the commercialization of LEO. I'm coming from the commercial crew program. I was the mission integration manager um, for that program responsible for integration of all their um, commercial crew missions. Um, I was the lead for both Demo 2 and Crew 1 and ensuring that those, the vehicle integration and mission integration, COFER, and all of that work associated with those uh, missions was successful. As part of that and my past history with the commercial resupply program, I've had about 12 years working directly with commercial companies and industry and really trying to integrate this government um, industry partnership to ensure that we have success. 
Um, I have a long history of developing win-win um, processes between industry and the government in order for NASA to be able to purchase services, but yet allowing those commercial companies to follow their overall goals and objectives as well. And so I think that is really key as we move into commercial LEO destinations. NASA wants to ensure competition, but we really want to make sure that we can buy the services that we can without overbearing the industry. So I'm really excited. Very good. And I like that uh, the phrase you use, win-win, right? This is this is the, for the benefit of, uh, it seems like for industry and the government, I'm very excited to get to get into uh, exactly how we're making that work. Camille, welcome back. I know you've been on the podcast before to talk about some of your other previous work with commercial companies again. Uh, and so, so can you describe a little bit about, you know, from, from that transition from your previous role over, over to the world of commercial low earth orbit? Well, thank you so much for having me, Gary. It's great to be here again. <laughs> As you said, <laughs> I was here before talking about CLIPS, Commercial Lunar Payload Services, and I was the deputy manager for that program prior to coming over to join Angela as her deputy for commercial um, low-Earth orbit development. Um, so it's been a whirlwind of a few years of really supporting commercialization and the direction um, that the agency continues to go in, in in this area. So it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Camille, I want to build off of that comment. Um, you know, you, you mentioned there's a lot of other work when it comes to commercialization, right? This is not a new thing. We have a, a several programs, including CLIPS was one of them. What is so good? What is the government, uh, you know, what, why are we pursuing something like commercialization? What's so good about it? Well, what's exciting about commercialization is that it opens up access to space for everyone, right? Traditionally, it was only governments that had access to space. And now we are able to provide and enable commercial companies to build businesses in space while also establishing this new space economy. And we know that companies, you know, bring more innovative um, solutions to the table. They're more nimble, they're more agile. And with competition, it drives down costs, and that is always great for the government. Um, and so we've had these programs in place, starting with the COTS program that was kind of an enabler of a transport, a cargo transport capability, right? Um, back in the early 2000s, um, we were trying to, and we didn't have the space shuttle um, you know, it was decommissioned at that time, and we needed to be able to launch cargo to the International Space Station. So we needed this capability. And so NASA invested in commercial companies to develop a capability to to deliver and return cargo to and from the space station. And then we followed that up with a commercial crew, uh, the commercial crew program, which does the same thing. And so in the beginning, we enable the capability because the capability is not usually there. And then once we are comfortable with the maturation of that capability, then we start buying services, right? So we are buying commercial cargo services with the CRS program and we're buying commercial crew services with the CCP program. And now we are starting to kick off um, the enabling and investing in commercial companies to develop a capability for destinations, which, 
we think is the third in the trifecta of commercial LEO development. And then in a few years, we'll be procuring services as those capabilities develop. But then we had CLIPS, right, which was the commercial lunar program um, uh, payload services. And that was a little different because we went directly to buying services um, from these commercial companies to deliver our science instruments to the moon, but all enabling this uh, commercial space economy. So it sounds like Camille, based on what you described, right? You say, you, you talked about some of the some of the programs of the past, commercial um, orbital transportation services. That's the, that's the cargo. You talked about crew, right? Commercial crew, and then you're talking about some programs looking beyond. From what it sounds like, Camille, it sounds like some of those commercial um, efforts, the the with commercial cargo and commercial crew transportation. It sounds like that's a good model to continue. Is that what we found, and is that why we're continuing it? Absolutely. We, we've, we've found that it drives down cost for the government. So what we would spend traditionally and historically on developing these capabilities are far greater than what we're able to buy these services um, for from these commercial companies. So it's, it's, it really does benefit the government to promote and enable these uh, commercial capabilities. Very interesting. Now, now a lot of these services, Camille, that you're talking about are specifically for low Earth orbit, right? So you got commercial crew, those are low Earth orbit transportation, the cargo resupply missions that we're seeing today with Northrop Grumman and with SpaceX, um, they are delivering cargo to low Earth orbit. There's something about this place, right? There's something about low Earth orbit that is special and that is that is part of the needs of of what NASA is trying to do, build a robust econ economy here in low Earth orbit. So, so Angela, what's so great about low Earth orbit? Why are we focusing here? So just to um, add on to a lot of the words that Camille had noted. So we have been in low Earth orbit for a number of years. The government have, in fact, we're, I think we're about to um, celebrate our 21st anniversary of the International Space Station. And obviously we were in low Earth orbit before that. And so the government has provide has been working in low Earth orbit for a really long time, and we understand low Earth orbit. We understand how to get there. We understand the environment. We have a lot of history, but it's still a very important place for us because we can get to the we can get to low Earth orbit in a day, actually within a couple of hours, honestly, depending on the trajectory. And so it's a place that we can use as a science platform and that and you can see that in the success that we've had with the International Space Station and and all the years of being an ISS a national US national lab and all the science and research that goes on there and continues to go on there. And so we're at a perfect time and because of the successes of um, the commercial crew program and the commercial resupply program and and now moving into clips and some of these other programs she talked about we're at a very perfect time where it's this industry, this area is ready to be turned over, you know, to the private industry and commercial crew and commercial resupply were kind of those first test cases to see can commercial industry step up and fill this um, area that only the government could do before. And the answer has been yes and, and very successfully. You know, we've had the successful relaunch of U.S astronauts into space by a U.S. company, and it was not done by a government um, vehicle. 
And so that's super exciting, but we still need low Earth orbit. We want to go on beyond. We want to go back to the moon. We want to go to Mars. And there's still a lot of equipment to be developed and test cases and things that we need to test out. And it's not really cost effective necessarily to go all the way to the gateway or to the moon to do those test cases to Mars where we can do a very quick um, test in um, low Earth orbit and and buy down risk for those longer journeys. So that's why low Earth orbit is still very important to the US. Um, the other reason it's very important is we want to continue um, continuous US presence in space. Um, this is a national policy. Um, we want to continue to be the leader in innovation and technology in the space economy. And we want to keep that US presence in low Earth orbit. We also want to keep our international partners um, working with us strongly. And so even though we want to turn over low Earth orbit to the commercial industry and where we can buy services from them, um, we still want to keep some of that going. So it's really important to us that we keep this partnership. But as Camille mentioned, turning this area of space over to commercialization, we absolutely expect the cost to drastically decrease. Opening up the markets of things that can be done in low Earth orbit is going to drive down transportation costs. The more people that want to go to space, the more commercial ideas and things that happen in space is going to drive down those transportation costs. And that is the key to making um, low Earth orbit and space accessible in the future, you know, to many, many more people. And so each one of these is stepping stones um, to getting into where people are living and working in space. And it's just one one step toward that that larger goal with NASA still maintaining um, the key requirements that we have for low Earth orbit that support our exploration um, needs. Another example of one of these stepping stones is the suborbital flights. I mean, we've been very excited to see the successful Blue and Virgin Galactic flights. Um, NASA is looking into how we can also use suborbital flights in our research. Um, this is we're really in a very exciting time where where I feel comfortable, you know, predicting that we're going to see a skyrocketing of activities as especially as we start to see commercial Leo destinations. Angela, that's super exciting. What I'm hearing from you is that, um, you know, it seems like very, it's very apparent that there are a lot of exciting things that, that NASA needs and, and NASA has, you know, wants to be one of many customers. Um, and, and, it's, and that's why we're, we're helping to build this up and, and maybe drive down costs. I wonder what the market shows though, right? Is this, is this a shared perspective by commercial industry? Are they also predicting that there will be customers and services and, th and then it will be a vibrant economy? I understand that there was a study conducted to, to, to pulse industry and see um, you know, what, what their needs are and what their predictions are. Uh, Camille, can you tell us a little bit about that study? Yes, absolutely. We had commissioned a some market research um, done by the Bryce company that showed that there are potential markets for a LEO economy. Things like accommodations, right, for private astronauts or for tourism, really. Um, education and entertainment, being able to maybe do movies in space or do education and outreach, something we do from the International Space, uh, space Station, but really from a private 
citizen perspective, um, things like marketing, but particularly what we were interested in in terms of what we want, we as NASA want to do in enabling economies is focus on those markets that are scalable and that use the microgravity environment, you know, for building um, a, a business case. And that area specifically was in the area of marketing, I mean, manufacturing and production. And so um, the, they showed that we have things like exotic fiber optics that use, because they're using the microgravity environment, the quality of that product increases and there may be a business case in that area. Um, high quality machine parts, for example, or bioprinted materials, all those areas in terms of manufacturing and production are really high potential market um, areas um, for space economy. But the research also showed the barriers to enabling an economy, things like the transportation costs that Angela talked about, you know, they're really high now, and that's the number one barrier to enabling a vibrant and robust space economy in low Earth orbit is the cost of transportation. So we really have to work hard and bringing that down. But also, can companies get enough financing to invest in their business model that they can make a profit? Can Is there um, enough a foundation for regulation and laws that would enable companies to make uh, uh, close their business model in low Earth orbit. So these are some of the barriers, not just the the markets that they identified, but the barriers to um, to that will prevent a robust economy. And so those are the things that we need to go to work on. Just to to add on to what Camille said, I think. One of the exciting parts about it is, though, we have done some market research. Um, we There actually was another study done in 2018. Um, but what's important, though, is the kind of things that NASA and the ideas that some of these market researchers will dream up that they think the commercial industry will do is really just a small, in my opinion, a small amount of the ideas that will actually come out as commercial companies really start thinking about how they can use um, low Earth orbit. NASA started a program back in 2019 to actually stimulate demand um, using the International Space Station as an early platform. It took a while to kind of get that idea out into um, industry and get that kicked off. We started to see some really interesting ideas um, and we're continuing to see interesting ideas as companies really learn more and more about, oh, I actually can do this and this is what it's going to cost. And and not thinking that only the NASA research or the NASA current normal partners can do this. We're, we're really starting to see a lot more companies very, very interested in low earth orbit. And so that's one of the importances of commercializing low earth orbit and getting commercial destinations out there is because the government is very limited on the things that we can do on the International Space Station. It is a government platform. You kind of could think of it as a government building, right, that's on the ground. Um, there's limited, you can imagine there are limited things that the government's going to allow to happen in the walls of their building that would be very different outside um, in a public 
arena. And so creating these other opportunities, I really think you're going to see markets that we never even envisioned um, as the ability to be able to go to a place um, becomes realized. So Angela, it sounds like that's the long-term plan, right? It sounds like uh, the International Space Station, a lot of the examples that Camille was pointing to, some of the, you know, like fiber optic cables are, are stemmed from experiments that we've seen on the space station, space station uh, proving that there's, you know, there, there can be a market, that there's a lot of cool stuff that microgravity can offer. But it sounds like from what you're saying, what you're talking about here, all of this is more of a long-term effort thinking about the space station will not last forever. So what comes next? Because as you've mentioned, we have we do have continued needs in low Earth orbit. So is that the idea here that this is that this is a, a, really the next step after the space station, and we're planning that now? A absolutely. Um, the as you mentioned, the the International Space Station is an amazing um, research platform that has been used for a number of years, and every year new and more novel ideas come up and we we do just more and more exciting things there. But it wasn't built to last forever. It has been up a long time. And even though um, we continue to evaluate the ability to keep it running longer, it will have a finite light. And so there are two main goals. One, we want continuous presence in low Earth orbit. And so we do not want to have a gap similar to what happened on the shuttle program of being able to launch um, U.S. astronauts into space on a U.S. vehicle. And so you can't wait until the International Space Station um, is no longer viable to start thinking about building a replacement. And so that's why we are starting today and actually started a couple years ago in developing this commercial LEO ideas of a commercial LEO destination um, that is partnered with NASA and commercial companies where NASA can buy services and be a customer, um, but also other commercial companies can be a customer. So we are starting that now. Um, we actually, I say we've started that a few years ago. And so we actually kicked off um, the commercial LEO strategy back in 2019. Part of that strategy and the overall goal of that strategy is get to commercial LEO destinations, commercial destinations that are owned and operated by a commercial company where multiple people can buy services. Um, we kicked off a contract with Axiom Space for a commercial destination on ISS. This is an idea of where Axiom would build their initial portions of their space station attached to the International Space Station, and that at some point they would detach and become a free-flying commercial destination. And then at the same time, we are working partnerships with industry to build free-flying destinations. And we're actually actively in a solicitation right now for free-flying destinations. Um, and we've had a lot of interest from industry and really excited about that as well. And so at some point, as those companies start to build and, and realize their dream of having a commercial destination, NASA will be putting out a services contract um, to purchase services. And, and as we start to realize all of these things, then we will really be starting to think about how do we transition that work from the ISS to these commercial platforms. Very interesting. Now, now there's a lot of different efforts, and I think this is the perfect time to, to dive deeper into, into each of those. Um, starting with, Angela, it sounds like a lot of the efforts to 
um, to take this next step, the transition over to uh, commercial uh, low Earth orbit economy, is a lot of the activities are taking place on board the space station. You mentioned a commercial destination being tested there, and there I know there are a couple of other things. So how is the International Space Station folded into the plan to eventually hand it over to commercial industry? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that question in in total, because I, I think we have talked about a few things here and there. But as you can imagine, um, asking somebody to go straight out and replace the ISS, you know, without testing the waters is a difficult um, thing to do. Um, there is a lot of concern about is there market out there that can sustain this if the government's not going to foot the whole bill, et cetera, et cetera. And so as part of that commercial Leo strategy, we have identified ways to use the ISS as a destination to develop those markets, to understand you know, what that market demand is out there. And so there are a couple different ways that we do that. The one item that I mentioned earlier that was NASA created um, a NASA interim directive where we are allowed to do a limited set of commercial activities on the ISS. As I mentioned before, you know, there are certain restrictions of using a government facility. There was a very specific area carved out to kind of stimulate that demand as we talked about, and that is under our commercial use policy. This allows NASA to enter into reimbursable Space Act agreements with industry to purchase up mass crew time and other activities in order for them to test out those markets and to use the ISS as a commercial platform. Um, we've had some examples of that uh, in campaigns that you may have started to see in the media. Um, Estee Lauder did a campaign. We also have other outreach activities that are ongoing. We have folks that are looking at, are there products you know, that increase their value when they're in microgravity? And that's what I was talking about when I said we just kind of hit the tip of the iceberg. So we are starting to get companies that are really starting to think out of the box. We're getting some very interesting um, ideas, some of which we are moving forward with, some of which don't quite fit that criteria um, for a government installation, but absolutely could be done on a, a commercial destination. And so that's a really exciting area that um, we've been working. We did have um, a change in the policy back in April. Um, when we started this program back in 2019, NASA was highly subsidizing the costs um, to go to orbit. As we mentioned, that is a, a big barrier. And we did do a couple test cases. Um, we have since increased, um, changed our pricing policy and the, and the policy today is in order to do commercial activities, they do have to foot the full cost of that bill. And so that pricing structure changed back in April. Um, and we saw a little bit of a decline um, as those commercial companies had to really readjust their models. But actually, um, as I attended the 36 Space and Symposium last week, I talked to a lot of our customers and, and partners and they are very excited. They have um, readjusted to the pricing policy and I'm expecting to get a number of new ideas in, in the near future from these companies as they you know, had to readjust with that hiccup. But there still is actively a number of folks very interested 
now that we're getting a lot of press with the um, the positive results of commercial crew, Virgin Galactic, Blue, everybody's getting excited about space. And similarly, the commercial companies are getting excited. That's all fantastic to hear, Angela, because uh, that, that, that's all part of the these efforts that are ongoing aboard the International Space Station that you said is, is helping to sort of kickstart this and, and get get industry charged, uh, get, get them excited and, and come up with some creative ideas. So one of the things you mentioned, Angela, was a commercial destination. Now, I want to kind of expand on that. Camille, I'll toss it to you. Um, what exactly is this? What's the idea here? So, you know, when we talk about building economies, we talk about the supply side of the, the equation and the demand side of the equation. And then Angela uh, um, eloquently talked about parts of the demand that we are stimulating. Well, commercial destinations is the supply side of that economy equation, right? It's us enabling this capability beyond ISS when ISS gets to end of life that we, NASA, will no longer own and operate a space station or a space destination in LEO, but we will enable a capability for commercial companies to own and operate this destination or destinations <laughs> where we can be one, we, NASA, can be one of many customers and, buy, and, and, and our ability to buy services, right, to meet our needs. And we still have needs. Um, we still, you know, um, maturing technologies that we need for uh, future exploration, for example, or still learning how the human body adapts to space and doing human research. So some of those needs we are still going to have in low Earth orbit. And so enabling this commercial capability allows us to meet that need. Now, the commercial destinations, what we we just put out an announcement and for a request for proposals for these commercial destinations um, uh, that will be free flying orbiting uh, stations, right? Angela talked about the Axiom port contract, which is a commercial destination on ISS. So their architecture um, uh, enables them to build a capability attached to ISS first and then deployed as a free flyer. What this commercial destination solicitation does is request proposals for um, architectures that are not attached to ISS that are free flying from the beginning. And so we are going to enable those, in cap uh, those capabilities by investing in uh, companies um, and helping them to mature their capability to a certain point where we feel comfortable that we can certify that capability and then in the future procure services to meet our needs. So that's what in essence commercial destinations is all about. It's a place to go, right? So you have it's the transportation. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the transportation is on these commercial crew vehicles. It seems like we already have an infrastructure for, for to support some of this, right? You got resupply vehicles that can resupply the, the different uh, commercial destinations. Uh, but, but I think a key part here, and I think, you know, this is sort of the core of, of today's episode is, um, you know, the customers, the private astronauts, uh, you, you want people going to these different places. And so I know NASA has a foot uh, in this whole, you know, commercial effort and, and flying private astronauts. So what are what are the over what are the overall missions here, Camille, for for and, and really what is a private astronaut mission? 
Well, the private astronaut mission, Gary, is the demand. It's part of the demand side of the equation, right? There you go. So it all comes back to that, like, how do you build an economy, right? And so for us enabling this Leo economy, one of the ways we want to do that is offer ISS as a destination for private astronaut missions. One, to demonstrate and stimulate the demand for future commercial destinations, right? We are starting to lay that groundwork. We, we are enabling the destination, but you also want to stimulate the demand. So when the destination is in place, they have customers, right? And part of that, part of that customer base would be private astronauts. Um, but we also want to increase the U.S. capability transportation customer base, right, to potentially decrease transportation costs for the future. And we talked about that being one of the barriers to a, a robust uh, LEO economy. Um, so private astronauts is a way to decrease the cost so that down the road, it's it's more affordable to maintain um, destinations. So overall, really, the, the philosophy behind the private astronaut missions is really us, NASA, balancing requirements that we levy on these, we call PAM, private astronaut mission providers, um, mainly to protect the ISS vehicle and our crew while allowing them to manage their unique cost and risk and also allowing them to create a business model, right, and close their business case. And so um, we have structured this, this private astronaut mission um, around, around that, around enabling companies to build a business case, providing access to the International Space Station for private astronauts while we still protect our vehicle and our crew. So it, I, it is important. I, want, I just want the, the listener to, to understand the importance of this. These are completely private, commercially funded missions to space. And I would use the analogy, I mean, they're really, we're just providing them a place to go. They are responsible for their training, their outfitting, the purchase of the launch and transportation vehicle. Um, these are um, they, the, which they have to have be commercially licensed um, through the FAA and the FCC. None of that is being done um, with any assistance necessarily from um, NASA. We are providing some reimbursable um, products to them as they are starting to develop um, new supply chains on the ground related to training and related to um, supply purchases. Um, and But in general, they are completely handling these missions on their own. And as Camille mentioned, where we get involved is we are just ensuring that as part of that mission planning and development that they have a component that ensures ISS crew and ISS safety. And so we have levied requirements on these missions that ensure the safety of the ISS vehicle. And they have to provide, just as we do for our current transportation vehicles, all of the relevant analysis and information to ensure that they safely can come and dock to station. And then they also have to get um, a certain amount of training 
and they have medical requirements to ensure that they can safely that these private astronauts can safely operate on the ISS. So we do levy a set of requirements, as Camille mentioned, that ensure safety. But the general, um, what they do when they get on station um, and all of the work that takes to putting and planning a mission and making it success, successful is being done by these companies um, completely com commercially. And, and again, I just wanna stress, we're providing them a place to go because there is no other place to go at this time. And one, so that we can show that there's a market out there. And also because we're learning, um, the, the private companies are learning what they need to do to be successful and we're learning as well. And so we're really excited about the upcoming private astronaut mission to the ISS. And, um, but I just wanted to point out that this is truly, truly commercial. Um, that NASA is really only levying requirements and assisting in ensuring that we maintain the ISS as a safe place to work and be, but they are completely doing this on our on their own, and it's really exciting to see. That's great that 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 a you know a model like that exists, and and Angela, you pointed out um, that there is an upcoming mission, so this is not just all talk, right? This is something that's that's there's forward progress has already been made, so. So Camille, what is this? Um, what is this upcoming private astronaut mission? Uh, so it's called Axiom One, and it will be a crew of four um, private astronauts. Uh, one, the commander is a former NASA astronaut, um, but he is the, the professional astronaut, and the other three are, are private citizens, and they are slated to launch in January or February of 2022. Um, and, you know, primarily they would like to do research and, and education and outreach on board this space station and, you know, support some of their charitable and um, philanthropic um, endeavors. So that's really what the, this mission coming up is about. Very good. And it's not, you know, the idea is you have the, I guess, you know, as Angela pointed out, there's nowhere else to go. But but the idea is that these commercial destinations that you were talking about that are important for us to build is when, you know, NASA wants to continue low Earth orbit presence and, and we want to go there to to do cool stuff like like research and, 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 and these kinds of capabilities with the space station being one of those. The, the only current platform right now that that is opened up for for these kinds of uh, efforts. Uh, it's it's a great place to demonstrate, you know, not only that that we can get customers there, uh, you know, just just the, their presence, but it sounds like you know the idea is is here's here's what's possible when when you're in low Earth orbit. So um, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of forward progress made uh, to enable this mission. Angela, what's what's there left to do uh, until we get to this uh, early? Uh, we're looking at as early as January to to get this off the pad. So there's a lot of work, as you can imagine, um, to be successful in that. The first private astronaut mission to ISS is, is scheduled for the no earlier than January, which is not that far away. Um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of work that's ongoing. Um, the crew is actually in training. Um, they kicked off training at SpaceX a while back, and they are also training in the NASA facilities, you know, on the ISS systems that is ongoing. There's a lot of analysis and verification work that has to be done between the companies to ensure, as I mentioned, those safety requirements are met. And so that is ongoing as well. 
Additionally, there's a lot of planning of that mission. Even though this is a short mission, we do have to figure out how to plan these private astronauts' day-to-day -day activities into the ISS activities. We don't want to impact the research that's going on on station. So the flight planners, um, the Axiom flight planners and the NASA ops planners are working to integrate daily activities um, for that crew into our overall ISS timeline. Um, it's essential to have an integrated timeline for all crew on board to ensure we have proper allocation of resources, we prevent conflicts with payload facilities, et cetera, et cetera. And so that is, we are adding four more people to the ISS, which, you know, becomes a pretty crowded facility. So there's a lot of planning that's ongoing and that's happening as well. We have a lot of milestones um, that are coming up. Um, we're actually doing a milestone today with Axiom to ensure their readiness for the mission. And they're finalizing a lot of their details about the kind of activities they're going to do on orbit. They're finalizing their commercial activities and, and anything they'd like to do while they're there. And so lots and lots happening um, to get ready. Both teams are super excited. Um, and I feel like we will all see a really successful mission when that goes up um, early next year. What's exciting, Angela, is, is you know, we're, we're talking about these, this private astronaut mission. We're talking about the overall efforts here. And it's part of a grander strategy. You, you both so, so beautifully described uh, supply and demand and, and the, the overall strategy to make this not only just an early effort, right, but just it, it's setting the foundation to be an ongoing thing. And uh, Angela, you mentioned, um, you know, starting as early as 2019 to, to launch these efforts, right? And already it's just so much is happening, right? You got all these proposals coming in, all these efforts. The space station has already been, you know, used for commercial pur purposes for these commercial activities. We got private astronauts. It's just so much is happening in just a short amount of time. Thinking about that and thinking about the job that you guys are doing and just some of the upcoming things, what excites you most about just the rapid pace and this, this shift and to set a foundation for what will be the future of low Earth orbit? So the exciting piece to me, um, talking to folks last week and, and actually every day in, in my job is what you just mentioned. You know, we kicked this off in 2019, which seems like it was a couple of years ago, but it was, you know, late 19. It took a while for industry to really understand that NASA had opened the, the doors um, and were really embracing um, commercialization on ISS as well as other activities. That's not that long ago, right? And now look at all that we've seen in just this year. We've seen two successful commercial company, commercial crew launches where we launched crew to the ISS. We've seen two suborbital flights. We've seen a bevy of items, as I've mentioned, that have um, flown on ISS. We have gotten back optical fibers that are being analyzed. They're, the list goes on and on. And now we're about to do the first private astronaut mission to the ISS where private citizens, not professional citizens, are going to go all the way up to the ISS and work and live in space for you know over a week. Um, I think you're gonna see more and more of these firsts very quickly taking off over the next year. And it, it, it's really gonna be exciting as we move forward. We had huge um, industry inputs both on private astronaut missions and commercial LEO destinations. And so it's just one of those areas where you're really seeing um, the technology and the interest skyrocketing. And to be you know, really closely part of it is, is super exciting.
Incredible. Camille, same question posed to you. How exciting this is. It's extremely exciting, Gary. I mean, the prospect of opening up space right to everyone. I mean, that is really the future. It may not happen right away, but we're laying the groundwork for that, right? In an area traditionally that governments were only the, the, were the only ones able to do that. And so being at the forefront of that, really blazing a trail and setting up these, you know, processes and policies and pathways to enable commercialization in Earth orbit is really, really exciting. And I mean, we are at the forefront. We are at the forefront of this. And so, um, you know, a lot, a lot of work ahead of us, but it's, it's very exciting to be on the cutting edge like this. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, I was so excited to talk to both of you today. Um, you know, this is, this is sort of where I'm, I'm focusing a lot of my current work is, is helping to, to work with both of you. And, and I'm absolutely loving it. And I think it's because of this, right? Because it's so imminent, because it's so fast paced, um, and because it's, it's, it's building a future and we're starting from the beginning and it's, it's very, very cool. So, so to both of you, to Angela and to Camille, thank you so much. Uh, for coming on to describe in detail all these great ongoing efforts. I can't wait. I feel like we can do this in a year and we could talk about a whole new set of things, right? Because it'll just be it'll just be a whole new and exciting and and, and uh, fast-paced environment. So thanks to you both. Appreciate your time. We look forward to coming back, Gary. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, super excited. And I would tell you, we could probably come back in a couple months and we could tell you even more because things are moving so fast. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to hold you to it. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I hope you learned something today. It's a very fast-paced world over in uh, commercial low-Earth orbit development. Uh, so this was a nice time to talk about some of the updates and, and some of the things coming up. I think we'll have to do one of these again uh, just because of how fast-paced it is and uh, just to provide an update in, in a very short time. But if you can't wait until then, uh, you can always go to nasa.gov slash leo-economy, L-E-O as in low-Earth orbit, dash economy. Uh, the latest will always be at that website. We are one of many NASA podcasts across the whole agency. You can check us all out, including us, Houston Weaver Podcast, at nasa.gov slash podcasts. Houston Weaver Podcast, though, is on the Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have a question for us or you'd like to submit an idea, use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform. Just make sure to mention is for us at Houston We Have a Podcast. This episode was recorded on September 2nd, 2021. Thanks to Alex Perriman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, and Belinda Polito. And of course, thanks to Angela Hart and Camila Lane for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.